It's Friday, January 20th, 2017, and you're listening to episode 430 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is one hour and three minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Brodor. This is Wayne. You didn't do still Wayne, or do you have to like wait two or three tries? Yeah, if we only go through the introduction, it's not really restarting. Oh, okay. It's only if we actually start a topic and we're like, nope, scrap. If we really scrap. stumble over the yeah. banter topic yeah, or, yeah. Oh, okay. or we accidentally record the masturbation conversation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow, what a great setup to cancer talk. <laughs> <laughs> so as you guys, if you've been following the show, know one of our hosts, Pat, unfortunately has pancreatic cancer, and I don't want to turn this show into a total downer. Google it if you want to know how bad it is and what stats look like. But we have been asked, because one of the things that we told both him and Beth from the start was whatever you guys need, you tell us, and we will do the best we can to get it taken care of. You just have to give us a direction and send us forward. And they have now asked for some amount of financial support because of the fact that there are costs that things like time off work and such that insurance doesn't cover, and then insurance doesn't cover 100% of the medical costs to begin with. So there's a GoFundMe that has been set up with the address of Pat has cancer and it sucks, (laughs) which is a very true statement. Mm -hmm. And I will link... It's all one word. It is all one word, and I will link to this in the show notes. It's GoFundMe.com forward slash... Pat has cancer and it sucks. And in case you either can't remember that or I just misstated it, it will be in the show notes so you can go there and any help you can offer their family is greatly appreciated. And they line out in there too, like what is costing what, you know, they're like, well, you know, we have this much insurance and it's covering this amount. This is what's not being covered. And this is how much this cost and it's not being covered. And then this is how much the total thing is. And then he's going to go into surgery. Surgery is going to cost this much. And then there's chemo after that. So, yeah, it's a a very daunting amount. Besides the cancer sucking, the bills are going to suck. Right. And on top of that, if you don't have anything that you can offer financially or you do, but you also want to keep up with what's going on, how this unfortunately tragic situation is unfolding. There is a site uh, called Caring Bridge that Pat has an account on. Well, actually, Beth has an account yeah. on, Beth being Pat's wife, where she is posting updates about Pat's condition and the treatments. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. We did that some episodes back, but in I case... Think it's called Don't Tell Me the Odds. Yeah, I think it's something like Don't Tell Me the Odds. Yeah. But I will put a link to that in the show notes. So if you want to follow what's going on sort of in the week-to-week of Pat's treatment, then you can find the details at the CaringBridge site. So beyond that, all right, let's move on and talk about something that's a little bit more lighthearted. Death in role-playing games. Well, from what I understand, you guys were setting up that's not too far off. Yeah, so... (laughs) 
You guys wanted to talk about was a premonition. This is, this is Wayne. So you know how the past couple has been like, Chad, you had a topic, and I'm like, I have no clue what my topic was. I've forgotten. This time it's Wayne. Something I've had come up in games a few times is your penis. I that, was thinking that, that a, same thing. Damn it! Why didn't I say that it? That comes up around the table, not in the game. No, you know what? All right, so we're going to do a banter topic before we get into your topic. <laughs> All right, okay. the I, subject of Wayne's penis. All right, no, that's no, brought no. us a banter. Topic. I can disappoint 10,000 listeners all at once. <laughs> we're not going to talk about Wayne's penis. We're going to talk about Wayne's butt. And uh, we're going to talk about what Wayne's butt did to his wife <laughs> at gaming on Sunday. Uh, Wayne. No, go ahead. Okay. Share the story. So, what sugar, sugar-free rot. candy, right? Sugar-free sugar, candy. Sugar-free candy. Anyone who's ever had sugar-free candy knows what it does to a body. Yeah. It does bad things. Sugar alcohol which is the replacement for sugar, Mm -hmm. will mess up your digestive system pretty bad for a short time. So, like, you can have a candy that's sugar-free. Okay. No problem. Maybe two, maybe three. It's it's not a big deal. Okay. So, Wayne and Sarah went to Russell Stover's. Yeah, it was the Russell Stover's outlet. And they had bloopers. All right? And I'm thinking, like, is this like a pecan sandy? Is this like a turtle or something? I don't know what the hell a blooper is. And my God, that's a yeah. big box of these, quote, bloopers. And then they're like, it's, no, no, no. A blooper is what you think it is. It's the messed up chocolate. Yeah. You know, they do like 300 chocolate-covered cherries, and then 10 of them are like mushy on one side or fell over, have defects in them. And so they collect those instead of throwing them away, they just start throwing them in a box. So this is like the chocolate equivalent of the gag reel at an OBGYN. Right. <laughs> so, so. <laughs> I think you broke Brodo. <laughs> I haven't seen him okay. laugh this hard okay. since we talked I'm about so, midgets. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, <laughs> I can't midget portions. <laughs> so, so they just throw these into into these half pound boxes sure. until they fill up and they close yeah. them and then they sell them for okay. like twelve bucks. Okay. Well, Wayne buys a half pound box of the regular. Oh, these are like two pounds. Two pounds. Yeah, I mean they're these are big freaking boxes. Two pounds, like and of the regular chocolate with sugar and for all of us humans. And then he buys a two pound box of the bloopers that are all sugar free. Right. All right. So, I'm, is, which by the way, sugar-free candy is like movie-free movies. Right. I, I just want to put it out there. You know, I took a bite of one, and I'm like, "This is actually pretty good." Yeah, it's, it's just not, missing sugar. Yeah, it's not as good as the regular no. kind. But if you're diabetic, you can't do the regular. Right. Kind. Oh, okay, and so, right. so you know, it, it's for people who have diabetes. And then, like, I lost a bunch of weight, and so I'm watching my carbs. That's how I lost weight. Is that I went on a high protein, low carbohydrate diet, and I'm keeping on. Or if you're constipated, pop a few. <laughs> right. And and <laughs> you know, actually, Pat was like, "Well, all the chemo's got me constipated. Hand that shit over." And then he's like, "Mah, mah, mah," with the sugar-free chocolate and he's going brah 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 with the sugar chocolate we're like that that boy likes his chocolate <laughs> so anyway uh i start eating the sugar-free chocolate wayne starts eating the sugar-free chocolate so at gaming you know wayne and i sit catty corner to each other we sit next to each other pat doesn't care about farts or anything like that i mean he has two little boys and he's a boy man boy himself so he's just like whatever so wayne and i wayne will go brap and then i'll go <laughs> Brap, as these sugar alcohols are 
destroying our insides. They're turning us into what was once humans, but these sort of rotted out husks of once men. Classy. Yes, it is great. And so, of course, we just still keep eating the sugar-free chocolate. I mean, you got to fill up the cavity that's being made in your guts with something. And so... You know, all night, and it's like progressive too. It's not just like brap. I mean, it's at the at the start, it was brap, and he'd go brap. But then it's like, (laughs) 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 so we're we're kind of keeping it on the down low. I mean, yeah, Wayne and I, we're not even snickering. We're just like kind of giving each other a look, right, as as we're doing this, and everybody else is engrossed, and we're not like blasting it out into the general atmosphere of the room. It's kind of being absorbed by our cushiony chairs, so to speak. And so nobody's really saying anything. And then at the end of the night... Gee, let me pause you here. Just for anyone supporting us on the Patreon, I want you to know they don't game in the recording studio. So your money has not been turned into fart sponge chairs. No, no. So Although our- after the pork belly at dinner, I'm about to poop myself. So I am concerned about absorbency. So okay. it's the end of the night. We we were playing board games. You know, it was after uh, New Year's. We were all kind of tired. We, uh, I had driven from Branson back home the day before, so I didn't feel like really you know, right, running, running game. the game. And, so, and during the whole time driving up, I would lock the window so she couldn't roll her window <laughs> down and then <laughs> let her rip. Uh, <laughs> there was pre-work to this. And then, I didn't know. And then the dogs are in the back seat, and then one of them will let it rip. <laughs> Oh, poor Sarah. So anyway, like I said, it's been getting progressively worse. Apparently since the beginning of the weekend, it's been getting progressively worse. And so, you know, again, Wayne and I are kind of on the download. We're not really trying to get it like... What does the show be called? We finished playing what is one of the most intense, close games of Cards Against Humanity we've ever played. It was, Sarah was the loser, as apparently she's been all weekend. Every single other person had nine out of ten cards that they needed. And it was a nail-biter to the end. And Dawn, we pissed Dawn off because Wayne and I were kind of trolling her with these different cards. And so she got pissed, woke up, and... started playing and she amassed like all these cards really quick and then she won by playing minstrel rage <laughs> so we finish the game we're congratulating each other and dawn's like you motherfuckers in your face and you know doing that stuff and uh so wayne is i thought he was kind of rotating to get up but no <laughs> he was rolling pointed his ass right at his wife and just lets loose with like this chainsaw sort of just wild diesel fueled sugar alcohol fart that's just like and it just right on her and there's this so about oh. this point, Chad goes to the stairs. They're complaining. Everybody's yeah. complaining now because he let it rip. It wasn't into the cat, and it like is the cloud is filling. And they're all talking about how everyone awful is stuff. ready to rush to the stairs. Chad is like three steps up, and he lets it rip on the stairs <laughs> on 
the stairs, uh, the only exit out of the basement. <laughs> and people are just like in the corner trying to get away from the cloud. It's like the only exit. And yours was bad. Yeah, it was. It was like setting fire to the fire escape. I don't eat like that anymore. I don't eat that much chocolate. I don't eat sugar-free chocolate. We had this like pizza that was like the, we called it. We got from uh, Papa Murphy's, and we called it Papa's Meat Orgy. <laughs> and Papa's Meat Orgy. To A great which, film. To which Pat and I go into the grocery store next door to buy bacon so we can fry up bacon and put more meat on our pizza. And uh, like I said, I just don't eat like they were, and I wrecked yeah. myself. And then I made everyone pay for it. It was great. Yeah. Sarah, when she finally went upstairs, she holds her breath as she goes through her mind, hits the stairs, and just goes, Oh, God! How <laughs> <laughs> to breathe eventually. My brain was loud and bad, but yours, oh, That's respect. Right. That's right. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. We're top shelf here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shelf yeah, this is, this, th- there's a reason why we do this show in smoking jackets, <laughs> surrounded by many leather-bound books, mm-hmm. all the classics. Yes. <laughs> so, right, that was not the topic for today. Oh, like you've never farted? I never once in my life. That's right. Never, you know, never. I have never farted <laughs> since birth. I have never farted. Not once. Not That's once. why you're always such a son of a bitch. <laughs> We know Chris has because it was on an oh episode. Oh my god! Yeah. Yes, yes, we have we have evidence of that. <laughs> with you two, we have confessional now. With, with Chris, we have evidence. He waved his Fifth Amendment right, <laughs> and then uh, waved something else. All right. Okay, so, so the actual role playing topic right. is I have it. So I have in our current Dresden game, and both an NPC and Chad's player character, new character. Yes, new I made character. a new character now. Both my third ha- character for this. They game. both have an ability called Cassandra's Tears. This lets them get visions of future events. Okay. And this is a curse in the game, too. Yeah. It's you, you, instead of spending a point in character creation, you get, you, you get a point for taking it. And I've had things like this come up in games before, too. All right, roll over for, for a second. So anyone who's not familiar with Dresden Files intimately, I mean, the basic idea is it's urban fantasy. Why is this a curse and not a power? In this case, it's a curse because nobody believes you. Yeah. They just think you're crazy. And, and is that like a role-playing requirement? Or yes. Can, yes. So, like, I cannot just choose to start believing you. I have to... Well, I mean, you know, what is Jim Butcher going to come to your house and break your kneecaps sort well, of thing? Fred but, Hicks, in yeah, this case. Fred, yeah. Or whoever. Yeah. Well, yeah, right. you know, Fred... Uh, Jim Butcher's closer. He is a Missouri guy. Yeah, Jim Butcher's a Missouri guy, and so is... Uh, Whoever it was that wrote, I don't even know what those books were. Go on, <laughs> some other some, urban fantasy some other, series. The, Anita Blake, Anita Blake, yeah, uh, yeah, Laura Blake. Hamilton. Yeah, there we go. Who Wayne has met, by the way, and who times. and who plugged Fear the Con. So yes. I actually may see if she'll come out to Fear the Con. I don't know if she will or not, but she actually plugged Fear the Con. So I may see if she'll actually come out and and make an appearance. I don't know. Anyway, good, continue. So, so it's, so, it's so a curse. Kind of, yeah, it, it's a curse because the book it, says. Nobody should believe yeah, you. Like though, if, once again, Fred Hicks is not going to show up. Here. Right. So it's, the it's, curse part of it isn't really relevant to the topic so much. But just okay. to give us okay. some background, yeah. Right, right. Like Go if on. I were to try and convince you in, in mechanically, I have to make a roll to uh, my rapport or something like that to convince you. Sure. And you get over a certain number, and I because I have this, I get a negative 
modifier to try to convince you to okay. my role. Yeah. Okay. All right. And in the books, I haven't read the books, so correct me if I'm wrong. This, is Cassandra's Tears actually in the novels? It's mentioned. Okay. So I don't know how deep they go at in the novels, though. So, But the point is, these characters see the future. Yes. Okay. And this is something that's come up in other games and other ways. Like in fantasy games, I've seen, I've had oracles in the game where sure. I, I mm-hmm. want them to do this. I love the concept of you now see a vision of the future. I want to see that happen in the game, but I don't want to railroad the players. So in this oh, exact, yeah. in mm-hmm. this exact example, the vision he saw, he saw fire, flames, and Beth's character slicing Santa to pieces with her sword. And I misread the note he handed me and read Santa as Satan. And that's what I communicated to the players. And he was like, what? what? That's why they don't don't believe you. Right. (laughs) So, Wayne, broadly speaking, because I've played a bunch of games. Let's just take it back to, I mean, good old D&D. Good old D&D has a variety of divination spells for telling the future. Everything from the basic wheel or woe of, if I do this, will it go well or poorly? to very detailed information about the future. It's not an uncommon thing in any role-playing game that includes magic or at least some sort of higher-end psychic or psionic power. Or superpowers, actual time travel. Mm -hmm. You see the future. Because there's a lot of different ways you could take it. You could do, you saw this, this is now a possible future. It may or may not happen. Well, yeah, and right there point in the first one approach is to say this is a possible future Mm -hmm. because that right there lets the gm and players off from a lot of the hook where you now only very have to loosely hold on to the hook and i think that's weak i I agree i agree i think it is a possible future unless it is really a major undertaking to undo that future i think i agree with you it's It's like very why bother exactly all that is is somebody's opinion. I can read blogging sites yeah. in real life to get yeah. people's it's, opinions it's on what the future is going to be. statistics. Right. You let me predict as many things as I want. I will eventually predict the future with perfect right. accuracy. Exactly. My preference for this, that, which is where I run into the problem of I don't want to railroad players, I want, when I give chat a vision, I want that to actually happen in game exactly how he sees it yep. but he's missed all the context yeah and that's why it's unbelievable in this case he saw her character slicing santa up with a sword yeah what actually happened during the course of the game because we got to that point there was a fade that's known as a phobophage that can take basically shapeshift it was shapeshifting into a krampus character that looked like santa claus and she sliced it up. That act that ended up happening, but it isn't exactly as he saw right, it, right. Be- because he was missing context. And I've completely forgot that I had told him the fire part of it. It just so happened Sarah's character grabbed behind a counter a some cleaning supplies and made a blowtorch out of it because one of the other phobophages was a snowman. So the fire was there. I had completely forgot about it, and the entire scene played out exactly as i had written down on his vision yep but this was only the first time i did it okay now, i so, want to keep doing this but i don't want to railroad the now, players an interesting point about it, not to get into a gaming story though is beth was the one who i saw her character mm. slicing up santa right. right and 
she we got to the point like there was her with her sword doing stuff and then there was this phobophage who turned into santa for all these various plot reasons it's not as silly as it sounds it was actually kind of creepy but and this was for me a side story to get everyone back into the game it wasn't the ongoing campaign arc it's a it's christmas i'm going to do these like two set two to three session Side story Themed. just to get because yeah. we haven't played the game in almost two years at right, this point. Right. So so the setup was you know Beth has her sword out because she's a Bang knight of the cross. cross and this phobophage is there and they're in the middle of the fight and then there's Santa and she's like oh well there's there's Santa I guess I don't remember what she said but she, she didn't want to pull the sword out because they were in public they're in public and then she said Meta. Well, this would also fulfill that prophecy. Should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? And I looked right at her, and I'm like, you absolutely should do it. You should fulfill it. Because, to me, like we said earlier, I don't like that weak sauce. I don't like saying, well, it's a possibility that could happen, or it's super metaphorical. It can be interpreted in lots of different ways. I think that to make it work, everybody has to be every player has to be on board with it even if the characters are not well Well, another option i thought about was making them so vague that you can nostradamus it uh, where after the fact yeah yeah that perfectly so so if the first possibility is is a possible future i think the second option is if as you're backing off Mm -hmm. from that vagary the next step back though still a rather vague one is it is symbolic right it's typological it's it's a what they call it in general prophecy sort of stuff they call it a type and shadow that the idea is that you are seeing a concept okay so for example killing santa while there's fire well santa to the viewer might mean someone who gives good things and the fire could mean purging or destruction and so there's somebody who's trying to help you doesn't look anything like Santa, but is just trying to help you, but accidentally gives the impression of being evil, and in your wrath, you kill them, and thus you have killed Santa while surrounded by fire. And so I will say that I think that's a little bit less weak sauce. It is, because you have to be clever. Because you have to be clever, and it does still give you some room to maneuver. Because, Wayne, the big problem, the big problem here, I'm going to guess. Player agency? Is player agency, exactly. You can do prophecy and foreshadowing so easily in prose because you have perfect control over everything that's going on. You don't have that in a role-playing game. You don't know. I mean, Santa could show up, and they're like, you know what? It's Santa. I'm not going to fight him. You know, Let me give you a real-life example. Deja vu. Okay, everyone listening to this has had deja vu. Of course, there's all kinds of debate about what deja vu is. Are we actually reliving the future? Is it simply a mistake in the brain where we feel as if we're remembering something we are, in fact, only experiencing for the first time? Did they make a change in the Matrix? Did they make a change? Well, I mean, whatever your view on deja vu is, I have this little superstition thing that I do where every time I start to feel like I'm in deja vu, I intentionally do something really random. To take it off script. And just because it makes me feel better. It is pure superstition. I'm telling you that right now. I don't think I've ever felt deja vu in really? my life. I feel it I've all had the time. Conversations yeah. where I know exactly the next things that people yeah. say. And then I sit there and think, have I had this conversation with them before? No, see, I have conversations where I know what 
people are going to say next, but that's because I'm really smart. And, and yeah, people are boring in <laughs> mono dimensions. Boring, <laughs> and that's they only talk about sports. Right. And good lord. But but the, <laughs> the point being though that you could run into something similar in the game where you start to see the prediction come true, mm-hmm. and so a character or a player intentionally tries to take it off script simply to break the prediction and to regain a sense of agency. And so that's, I, my, that's my question is, in-game, are they avoidable? Can, is, it, is it absolutely fated? Is it predestined? Mm-hmm. Or is it something that you could, someone else in that particular encounter could have drawn a gun or cast a spell and prevented it from coming to fruition? What I would like in this case, because what I did with the NPC is I've, the NPC got a lot vaguer ones. She was also a drug addict and kind of yes. blasted some of her brains. So. I had a lot of reasons for hers yeah. to be vague. No clue. <laughs> In the case of Chad as a player, I don't want to do that to him. Mm-hmm. I could give him vague things, but it's more fun for me to dis- to write down a scene, hand him the scene, and then he describes that scene to the other players however yeah. he well, sees when, fit. When, when what you to answer on. your question, though, I want it to be this is going to happen Unless you actively do something because your character has knowledge of that vision and the character is specifically doing something to avoid it. Well, wait, that's generally. Yes. This this introduces possibility three, which is if the PCs don't play ball, it doesn't have to involve the PC. You already said that your vision involves multiple people that were shapeshifters. Yep. Chad saw Beth hacking up Santa. What's to say Beth wasn't also not Beth? Just as Santa wasn't Santa and the snowman wasn't snowman. (laughs) We don't serve since here. Chad, I need you to forget that he just gave that piece of advice because (laughs) that is one I can potentially use. Because what if Beth isn't Beth? What if Beth is simply something that appears to be Beth or whatever? She's she's lost agency. She's undermined control. It's not her at all. It's an NPC that looks like her. It's a shapeshifter. And so that's an option three. So you have, you know, one is one was one was possibility. So one 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 was it, one. It's just a possibility. Two is it's a, a what do you call it, Wayne? You call it a uh, Nostradamus thing, yeah. yeah. Where you make it so vague and so typological that after the fact you can piece together yeah. how it would have. worked. And then possibility three is you simply take the PC out of it. Now, let me give you a possibility four before we get to, and if you guys have some other middle steps, before we hit the hardcore possibility five of it is exactly what you thought it would be. One of the things that I have done in a lot of the games that I've run, for example, not Bacar Brysos, Wayne, I believe you played an alien. I think you actually played one of the ones that was capable of, or you were associating with one that had a very, very weak psionic capability. Yeah, in one of the two campaigns, I had the ability. Yeah. I want to say it was the second campaign. And, and so they, the way that it worked was it was almost at a subconscious level, and it wasn't truly magic. They couldn't sense the future. But what they could do is they would have these intuitive senses about situations because of the fact that they were picking up on people's thoughts. They might pick up on things in the environment, like uh, they might know that they, like they have a sudden sense of dread, but in truth, what they're actually feeling is that the ceiling above you is structurally unsound, but they don't have that at the conscious it's like a spidey level. sense. Yeah. Yes. And so it's like a spidey sense. And so what they're picking up on is something that is actually 
tangible in the present. Now, I accept that obviously not a regular human can read somebody else's mind. Unless you're Spider-Man. Unless you're Spider-Man. These aliens could. They actually could at some high level, sort of without looking at you, have empathy. They may not know exactly what you're thinking, but if a sniper was lining up a shot, they would know somebody in the room feels malice towards you, and they might know to grab you and pull you off the podium. And so there was something that was a lot more instant, but what that gave me the ability to do was to make it much more plug-and-play because, one, I could decide when that occurred. It wasn't like you could cast it at will. It comes up when it comes up, and I could wait as a GM until the moment was right and then fine-tune it so it fit the situation, and therefore it kept me in the driver's seat of, well, okay, if you didn't step up onto the podium when I thought you might get shot, no problem, there's an assassin waiting in the hallway. You know, there's somebody here to threaten you. I've only given you a sort of plug-and-play bit of information, and therefore I can change it up pretty quickly to always be true somehow. I think also when you look at it, the less time between the vision and the occurrence, the easier this is to well, do. Or I would go to the flip side, either one, either the less or the more. And this would be my first bit of advice. Is if you're going to go all the way to the extreme of what you see is going to happen in the future, exactly as you saw it, I think there are two ways to make this easier on yourself. One is to give yourself no time. So it's it's happening right now, right? So the players don't have time to derail it. The other is to have it happen at either a non-specific time or a point so far in the future that you have a whole lot of wiggle room to make it true, to set it up piece by piece, or even at last minute to slip in, you know, you're in the middle of a big barroom brawl and all of a sudden, oh, you're Santa Claus for no particular reason. I mean, that's a terrible example, but you get the point. You know, you foresaw that, although that is kind of what happened. Yeah, in this case, what I looked for was that opportunity when something else was happening. It's like, okay, this can happen now based on everything else happening. And he handed I, me the note at the, I think it was the first thing you yep. did when we started the game. The yep. very first time your character saw best character, you got the vision of it. And then the next session or the last session, the end of the story arc was when the actual event happened. It just strikes me that if you don't have or don't want total player buy-in, meaning I'm just going to hand right. you a note card and, Chad, you must behave according to this. Excuse the jingle, a dog just walked into the room. <laughs> but if you don't behave ac exactly according to this, then what I'm going to do is... Make you know, your dog nude. Yeah, make my dog nude. I'm going to take off those collars to stop jingling at you guys. But... uh <laughs> The, you know, that's just how it has to be, and you've agreed to that, then I think another option is you have to leave some degree of the variables of the situation pliable. Well, the, the exact meaning, the exact timing, because if you don't have perfect player buy-in, which is a possibility. Yeah. So, like, Chad, in your case, I think if I handed you a card and said, you have seen the future, make this occur. On it. And yeah, 100% in. You would do it. Yep. But there are other people where I think if I handed that to them, they would say, <laughs> Charlie. Well, yeah, and I was wagging his tail against the door. But, you son of a bitch. But literally. You would, you would say that either, you know, not you personally, but many right. players would say either, I'm not going to do this, I'm going to take this off the rails intentionally, 
or you know i'm just why why would i play along with this why would right, i right. why would i artificially make this happen and to them it would cheapen it a bit which is i think you as a game master have to keep some portion of it pliable the timing of it the interpretation of it something and by the way you can decide this when you describe it to say you see beth in the future she's surrounded by fire and you feel a sense of horror and you think you hear Christmas music in the hmm. background. Well, and it's the middle of July right now. Yeah, and it's the middle of like, July. But, what, but, but uh, the point is that's specific enough that it can be something. But there are enough vagaries in it that you can still make it fit without having to totally script it. And I will say I keep the timing is something I keep completely off the table. So, yeah, he gets the vision. He doesn't know when it's going to happen. It could happen 10 minutes from now, could happen a mm-hmm. year from now, any of the above. So that's something I have to play with. I'm so glad if anybody at the table has the ability that it's Chad that has it, because I know that when I hand him a note, he's going to do something with it. Mm-hmm. That something might be misread it and give everyone the wrong information. <laughs> well, he's also like correct himself. I, I think, too, the thing about Chad is that he's also going to behave in a way that is going to discredit him as a visionary. No, and I mean yeah. that I mean that as a compliment. Right, right. You're going to see she's killing Santa Claus, right? Yeah. And so you're going to respond in some way that is negative that makes the people at the table My my reaction to that in that one instance was to tell her. I completely tell I never met her before my character had never met her before, didn't know her, walked right up to her and told her, You're yeah. gonna kill Santa. Actually, I think this, and they're like, that dude's a nutter. Right. If I right. remember, I think the very first thing that your character said to her was, what do you have against Santa? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, in, in my current... See, you just need to do this with Nara on a game, because he would just sit down and start a list. <laughs> Santa's got a list. Nara's got a list. <laughs> it's all naughty. So, so I love what I've heard about your game, Prodark. So. Oh, thank you. So in my current D&D game, one of my players during the time break went on this months-long spirit quest. And at the end of this spirit quest... I actually wrote out several of these crappy prose style visions for him, right? And to this point in the game, most of them have come true, but they were relatively in the recent past or very recent or very near future from his spirit quest. But what we're getting into now is the nitty gritty of his visions. And DJ, if you're listening, I know you're mature enough and good enough gamer that you're not going to spoil anything that I might allude to. Yeah, but you should have heard him dogging you before we started recording. <laughs> oh, G- DJ's great. He's absolutely <laughs> great. He actually, there was a moment in, in the in the most recent game session where he got teary-eyed because he thought something terrible about this NPC. And the NPC completely disproved him. He apologizes to the NPC and the NPC essentially discloses to him, of course I expect, you know, why Why would you think anything different than me? I haven't proven anything different right. to you at this point. He got a little weepy. It was great. But mm. so Mike's character has had this druid has had a number of different visions. And because so many of them have come true, they're crapping themselves about one particular vision. And so they want to go and they want to get the MacGuffin and they want to make sure the MacGuffin is safe to ensure that this particular vision does not come true. Now, where I am unclear as a game master is... Is it still going to come true anyway? And is that robbing them of player agency because they've gone out of their way to prevent this vision from occurring? But more importantly, at the very beginning of the game, one of Mike's visions actually comes true. 
and the players realize that it has come true as the game is starting. And it's boring. I won't bother you with it. The important part is, is that once again, there's an instance of he's had a vision. The visions come true. Therefore, it it lends credibility, credence to the visions. Right. So every vision is real at this point. In fact, during the course of the game, as they're negotiating with a neighboring city state, another vision has unfolded itself and has come true from the beginning of the game session to the end of the game session. And they realize that their particular lords are being manipulated by the city state. And they're like, son of a bitch. All of these visions are coming true. Where I'm challenged is none of the visions have been specifically about a player character. They've always been about an NPC specifically and not a specific person at the table. So I have not had the challenge that you've had, number one. But number two, where I'm struggling is at this point, every vision has come true. Am I going to have this vision that they tried to circumvent come true? Or is there going to be some sort of karmic backlash because they diverted the vision see i love two ideas here if you could somehow make it happen that the vision comes true because they try to make it not and i thought about that and i feel like for me i'm just them, you know that they went out of their way we had these great i mean spent hours of real time coming up and devising a way to deal with it i feel like that i just kind of pull the rug out from under them if i do that one but I, at least this time. I love the idea from, because everyone knows I love time travel stories. And one of the things I like seeing in a time travel story is that somebody goes back and changes something, right. and now there is completely unexpected side results. Right. So I love that idea of let them change it. Right. And if it wasn't clear to the audience, because I know I got a little spastic there, the, the vision about their lords being manipulated by the city-state, that one came true or is coming true as a direct result of their actions. Hmm. So that was kind of a stinger. That's another reason why I don't want to screw them. You don't want to do it again. Yeah, I don't want to do it again because it gets it's repetitive and it's, right. it's, it's not interesting. So I love the idea of, sure, they keep it from happening. The vision... Does not happen, but now there is an unforeseen consequence because of that. Just like when you look at time travel stories, like any Flash time travel story, Flash goes back in time, changes something, Flashpoint paradox, comes yeah, back, and, and now the world is different because of it, and usually well, not better. Yeah, in this case, some right, it's so not for, time travel, right. but it's the same idea. So in this scenario, the MacGuffin is a bottled demon that is just terribly charismatic and knowledgeable and great, but he's trapped in this bottle. Right. And the whole idea is he wants to get out. And in the vision, Mike's character sees this drow. Yes, I say drow, not drow. Sees this drow woman who's swollen with child with all of this ritual scarification on her belly. And she's lapping up the smoke of the spilled demon bottle. You know, clearly she's allowing this demon to possess her child, right? And they're like, we got to make sure that this stuff doesn't happen. So it could be something, and I'm not going to do this specifically, but, well, they they can't have this demon. Well, we'll go get another demon and circumvent it, go through another ritual to try to have somebody else, you know, helping her baby. You know, something that I have done in the past as a player, and I guess this comes from, there was a conversation we were having offline where we said, was it not everyone who doesn't GM is a jackass player, but every jackass player doesn't GM? That's right. <laughs> and yeah, it's like it's like Shriners and Freemasons, yeah. <laughs> you know, because every every Shriner is a Freemason, but not every Freemason is a Shriner. Shriner right. Mm-hmm. So 
Okay, well, I don't know where conspiracy theory somehow George Bush got killed and all of that. <laughs> I, I don't know what occurred there, but the point I being... always been an android, but... <laughs> for a lizard person. <laughs> no, that's the queen. But, but, but the point being that so, as someone who has GM'd, one of the things that I have always tried to extend as a courtesy to the game masters that I play under is that the trappings of any fortune-telling that I can do any divination that I can do are either so specific that the GM can work with them. And I mean something like, if we go into this town, will somebody attack us? A a wheel or woe sort of question, which is real easy for the GM to control. Or I leave it so vague that the GM is not caught if you'll excuse the pun flat-footed they have some room to maneuver see that's the problem with when a player requests a product they have a power and they use it to gain a prophecy well i'm sitting here i'm running the game and they're just like okay give me a prophecy like what just like that uh (laughs) i prefer the vision so much better if it's a case of they can't control when they come yeah and i can just in the middle of a scene let's say things are getting a little quiet or boring Mm-hmm. I can slip a vision. Yeah. Or yeah. the people are being unruly at something about well, slip I mean, a vision. Let, let me give you an example here. This came up in two different games. In one game, it was a game that John was running, and it was Pathfinder, and I was playing a class that had some ability to vaguely intuit the future. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it was, like an Oracle yeah. class or some Pathfinder not splat, but like expanded class. Yeah, there is an oracle. There yeah, is. it was something like that. I, I don't remember. The other example would be in Chad's game, as we've talked about before, I wasn't just playing Narl. I had this right. whole host of gnolls that I was playing. And one of them... Is that what a group gnolls is called? Is a host? host? I haven't because decided. That's a good question. I don't, I don't think it's a host. I don't think it would be a I host. Like throng. I like throng. Well, I, you like thong. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I got the thong song yeah. going through me. Yeah. <laughs> but, is there a grassy so they can be the grassy gnoll? But, oh, oh, thank you. Yeah. But we, we were actually, before the show, we were, we were talking about Jen Page at random. But there, you know, you really gave that pun a shot. <laughs> but, it could have been worse. I could have gone with a gassy knoll. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the knoll, did you have a gassy knoll? No, uh, that was John. That was John. Yeah, John played right. one of the knolls that was pseudo in my tribe that none of the other knolls quite liked because he was like a plague he's, witch. Yeah, he's like a, and, and they were like, ew, ew. <laughs> that's kind of unnecessary. But. Gnarl's main foil within the Knolls was this Knoll named Rot, who was a shaman. And he was very, very steeped in the traditional shamanic ways of Knolls, which is that uniquely powerful or strong-willed individuals would have spirits that would survive into the afterlife and possibly have some ability to affect the present world. Okay, so it's kind of this ancestor worship sort of thing. And Rot believed that... he actually really didn't like Narl for a lot of reasons, but he believed that Narl was probably going to become an ancestor spirit. So he wanted to watch this process firsthand from life to death to his manifestation as an ancestor spirit. And there was more going on that he was lying about, but that was at least his surface story for why he was there. But one of the things that he used to do is being a shaman from a, a, very, I don't know what you want to call it. One of the things he could do as a shaman from that type of society is he could do basic divination. 
I mean, it was tea leaf reading type stuff, except he would cast bones and entrails. And when I did it, I would simply say, okay, Rod is casting the bones, roll a d20, here's where I rolled, so this is how close to the truth I am. You know, 20 is perfect truth, 1 is an absolute lie, 10 is a mix, whatever. I would then look to Chad and simply say, what did he get? Mm-hmm. There was no specific question. Right. There was no, I want to know how this will go. Yeah. It was, and you could just say something like, well, you sense that someone that you trust who is in your midst right now will betray you when it matters most and it will happen before the season is over. Yeah. And so but you don't know if that's truth, a lie, a mix of truth. Well, or you, even if I, I saw you, the role, I might well, know. You're, but the point is, Rot doesn't know. Rot doesn't know. Rot believes it. He believes it. But <laughs> it's the, a 20 every time because he's doing it. Sure. And then Rot was, you know, Knowles don't show weakness. So right. <laughs> he, he would tell you it was a 20 even if he knew it was a one. <laughs> even if in truth he threw the bones and lost track of half of them <laughs> and kind of faded out and was thinking about the last season of, of, Buffy somewhere in the <laughs> middle of that he would tell you he knew what it meant but the point being that because of the fact that I handed it to Chad mm-hmm. I gave him the room to bind himself as much or as little as he wanted to and of course now Chad may not know what we're going to do in our player agency but he does know what the NPCs are going to do he does have control over where the plot's going to go mm-hmm. you know at least some and so I gave him complete control over binding himself as much or as little as he wanted and only sticking to the topics that he felt he could fulfill because it is a very unfair thing, I think, Hmm. to look to the GM and say, I want to have a dream about this exact thing on this exact day at this point in the future. Now, without railroading me, make it happen. Right. You know, will we get attacked in the next town? That's one thing. But basically asking how is the story points and plots going to play out for the next roll dice 2d6 plot points? <laughs> What's going to happen? Well, why don't I just hand you my notebook? Well, and let me ask yeah. someone who's playing the diviner a rhetorical question here. Why are you showing up? Right. I mean, I get it. Divination power should mean something. But if you want the game master to hand you the cheat book to the game... Don't show up. Right. I mean, if if you have no interest in the discovery of the plot, the characters, the event, if you don't want to be surprised in the least, and I get it, divination, mind reading, battle sense, spidey sense, whatever it is, it should do something. I'm not against that. But if you just want the GM to hand you the predictions and the solutions. Are you using this in-character power to mechanically peek at... The GM's notes. Yeah. Well, and it, it as a GM, as a GM, also, I don't want to give you something stupid. Right. So let's say I'm giving Chad a vision. I want that vision to be something that there's a point to it. I don't want him to get a vision of they're going to cook my steak wrong at dinner. That is pertinent information that I do want <laughs> actually, to know, actually. To Chad, that would be. Yes. Yeah, I understand that in the context what? of many RPGs, that would be banal information. But, Never! But to Chad, I do understand that mm. if, if they're anywhere below, maybe medium rare. Medium rare? Even a medium kind rare. Animal are you? <laughs> we're, we're pushing it. I do... A Pittsburgh rare. Yes. I, the the, the seven-second flash, yep. flash cook. But I love it. We uh, cooked meat like a couple weekends ago at gaming, and I was and Wayne hate Wayne does not care for steak, doesn't like rare steak, like steak well done, 
But again, you're not a steak fan. You chicken, yeah. turkey, all that pork. And right, but if you uh, like steak well done, you are not a steak fan. Right. <laughs> Don't worry. People have communicated this to Wayne repeatedly, and I think you're all, you know. I was, oh, you're right on. I was me. cutting my. I cooked my own steak at the house because yeah. Pat has a cast yeah. iron yeah. skillet, and I did a, a Pittsburgh rare. And man, this thing was raw, and juicy, and I was like, "Wayne, look!" And I'd like slice into it, start bleeding. He would look away. Oh, and then I would like, you know, we'd be eating, and I'd take a forkful, and then I'd be like, "Hey, Wayne!" And then I'd wiggle it because it was like all floppy and stuff. Maybe even still moving. I don't know. So there's another approach you can take to this, and I'm going to mention it only for the sake of completeness mm-hmm. because I think this is one that can work. But it is very hard to pull off well. It is very hard to pull off satisfyingly. In fact, the one time that I, as a game master, used it, I'm surprised it worked. There's several things that I've consumed and enjoyed. For example, the Carl Urban Judge Dredd. Yeah. On paper, I should have hated that. Mm-hmm. The, the current TV series Gotham, if you described it to me on paper, it is everything that I would not like in a TV series. But for some reason, I am thoroughly hooked on Gotham. And this is one of those things that I'm telling you on paper, this sounds horrible, and 99 times out of 100, it would be horrible. But in one case, it worked, and therefore, I'm going to mention it for the sake of completeness, and that's to end it unanswered. All right, let me explain that. There was a sci-fi game, we mentioned this uh, a couple episodes back, where Chad's character was playing a scientist who Mm -hmm. came from the future and Basically, all of life was going extinct at the hands of a bioweapon that had gotten out of control. And it was just completely running roughshod over literally all life within every galaxy they were capable of. Con- of we could not stop it. Yeah, there, were, there was, and everybody lost. And right as they're coming down to the last bastion of the last bits of civilization, his character, who had been the project lead on inventing time travel. It's like, we have no hope left. And in all of his experiments, time travel had always proven deterministic. So if 100% he, deterministic. 100% deterministic. Yeah. Well, he went back in time, put a wrench in a drawer, went forward in time, and it wasn't there anymore, then invariably it would be because some intern found it and put it away. It was 100%. Like, I, the, I could, to do a demonstration, I would open a drawer and show you that there's, that, what there's no wrench in there no wrench yeah and then i would go back in time put a wrench in the drawer go back to the present and then we'd open the drawer and there was no wrench in the drawer and then we'd look at the security camera and then some intern would have come by yeah. and taken so it by accident time was 100 yeah. percent deterministic so where this game picks up is he had jumped back in time about 100 or 200 years with basically the idea that i have enough time now even though it's not going to work i have to ch- i have to try because we have no other hope. Otherwise, all of sapient life goes extinct at the hands of this bioweapon. And where the game ended was there was a species that was technologically more advanced than human, but they too also fell victim to this bioweapon in the future, who told him, your time travel doesn't work, which in a way was both a kick in the balls, but also a sign of hope, because basically what they were saying is, we had been sort of manipulating this whole thing. And so the kick in the balls is that all of your research, your life's work is a sham. Mm-hmm. But the upside to that is maybe 
therefore the outcome is also a sham. Maybe I can change the future. And as they went through, the guy, he wasn't a guy, but but the individual that had created this bioweapon ends up, they actually confront him, and there's this big, Didn't huge they give long... give me a choice? It's like a red choice or a blue choice. And... <laughs> but no, they, they confronted this guy, and they did some things to derail what he was doing, but not completely. To where, when the game ends, Dawn asked a very, very pertinent question. It's a huge mm-hmm. metagame question. It was a very pertinent question. It was, it was one of the strangest questions that's ever been asked about my GMing, which is why I remember it. Dawn asked Chad between games, she said, not asking about me, but about the game universe. She said, is Dan presupposing a theistic or a non-theistic universe? And the reason she asked that, and she explained it, she said, if there is no outside divine power, if there is no God, there is no hope. I mean, this bioweapon will succeed. If there is not something that transcends all of this, then we are stuck in this deterministic loop Mm -hmm. and we are dead. And Chad said, I'm 99% sure Dan is running a theistic universe that there is, even if it's never dealt with, Mm -hmm. there's no magic. There's, you know, God is never mentioned by name. The presupposition behind the scenes is that there is some divine plan to it all. And where the game divine plan is not getting eaten by a genetically created <laughs> monsters. Yeah. Yeah. And so where the game ends was the guy that had created it, he had been defeated. His creation had been set loose, but they had done, and I won't get into the gaming server, but they'd done some serious things to hobble it. And so the future had changed enough that there was reason to believe it could go differently. But we didn't play it out. But 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 that's where the game ended. Yep. And so and that's where the that's where the plot line ended was on this note of hope because things had changed, but the prophecy still could have come to pass. But the point being that within the context of that, I was able to end the plot in a place where it was unclear mm-hmm. whether th- anything had changed because clearly something had changed. Right. The determinism of the universe had been broken because what you brought about with the help of the other player characters was it, not your history, but it right. didn't necessarily stop what you were ultimately trying to stop. Did you actually stop Hitler from doing the Holocaust? By or did going you, back in time to shoot Hitler. Or did you just change the swastika out for a different symbol? Right. And it was not clear precisely how deep you had gotten there. It's and, one of the concepts of time that I've always liked in time travel is that minor things can easily be changed. But major but, ones cannot. Exactly. But time has a flow. Right. And it will, over time, correct itself to its original path. And it wasn't clear from the ending of this game what had, which had happened whether that had been a significant or insignificant change. And I would say straight up, even as someone who would have been playing in that game, that 99 times out of 100, that is a terrible, terrible sidestep. It just worked well in that one situation for some reason. And so for the sake of completeness, I believe it needs including. I think it's a great sidestep. I love it. It was a great game. And the reason why it was a good sidestep you shouldn't do that for all your games where you kind of leave it on an ambiguous note like that. But what's really fun about movies, books, stories, games is, one, playing it, but two, 
talking about the possibilities afterwards. Well, what were the, what was meant in there? What was they? What were they trying to say? What could these characters do in the future? Especially for with some gaming. people. For some, for some, no, some, I, I'm with Wayne. Some on people that. are. Some people love that, and that's great. Yeah. Other people, if they don't get a clear cut ending to the movie, they will be pissed off. They will hate that movie. And see, and the ambiguous ending. Will, yeah. And, so you, it goes back to know your players. And, and Wayne, that's normally me. I mean, like for example, the ending of Inception, where the top wobbles but neither falls nor stays up straight. It bugged. I, I didn't like that. But for some reason, in this one case. I felt satisfied, even as a, a very self-critical GM walking away from it, that it had worked. Well, and I had one more idea on how to make this concept work that I don't know if it's really lame and stupid or if it is potentially could be fun. And that's an in-media res situation. So you have your vision. Mm-hmm. Two or three games later, we start in the middle of the fight where that... That is what you saw is the first thing that we started and I'm with. Choking the chef. Why did you burn my steak? Yeah. Well, and you what's know. fun about that is that that gives credibility to the vision. So all this time, people are you know disbelieving his visions and thinking that he's a lunatic. You lend credibility to a minor vision, and then you build a plot around a major well, vision. You would also yeah. need a lot of right group, right situation yeah. to do this. But but. I think one of the fun things you could do with that is Chad has a vision in which he is choking his favorite chef at his favorite <laughs> restaurant. We start off a game with Chad is choking a chef at his favorite restaurant, yeah. and we roll some dice, we do some RP, and Chad said something you know, on the fly like, why did you just try to kill me with that fish? Mm-hmm. And now it's like, okay. Two hours earlier. <laughs> How did we get here? I would love yeah. to play because that. It, because like, the things people say flesh out the situation. Yeah. Chad yeah. just said, why'd you try to kill me with that fish? Well, now I know, okay, there was a poisoned fish mm-hmm. or a fish with a sharp bone right. or, or something. Or maybe he just or came fish out. fish had a gun. Or maybe came out Muppet style and just tried <laughs> to beat you with a fish. Right. I don't know. But. What I like about it starting the session is that then shifts the the focus of it. So the focus all this time has been, do you let the events happen? Do they fight against the events? It completely shifts the focus away from that. And now the point isn't, do do you let it happen? Do they try to make it happen? It's, no, 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 that event, that's the event. Now, what happens next? Yeah. That then completely changes the focus of it. So, okay, you saw she has the sword up. She's swinging it at Santa. We start the session. Sword is up, swinging at Santa. Beth, what do you do? Right. See, I I really like the idea of, you know, choking my favorite chef and then going back two days earlier. And, and right group, though. You have to have the right group for that. And the group has to be one who, is, who sees the game not as a challenge to overcome or, or challenges to circumvent so that we can win, 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 win. The group has to see the whole thing as a collaborative story that we are all telling. Uh, we're not just characters in Wayne's story, but we're all part of telling this story. And some of us have different jobs. Some of us, the job is just to be the character. So when you have this sort of collaborative sense from the players, they can look at it and say, okay, well, you know, Beth is going to kill Santa or Chad's going to choke out this this horrible chef or whatever, what can we do to make that happen? And not just from a stupid, well, 
okay, we just drive the restaurant and choke the guy out. What happens, Wayne? But but to make that happen in a story sense, and in, in not in an artificial way, to make it happen in an in-character way, it's very challenging to do for yeah. the players, but I think it's also very fulfilling because challenge is fulfilling instead yeah. of just winning all the time. As you know what would be fun in this situation? Just stick with the chat is choking the uh, choking the chef. Yeah. So I described the scene. Mm-hmm. You're choking the chef. Pat's character isn't there. Other people around the table, his character isn't there. Then we cut back an hour. Pat, you're the chef. <laughs> nice. Because Pat learned something about himself in a game session recently. Yeah. His character from our inspector's game happened to show up. They went to his character's We junkyard. crossed the streams. We said we were never going to cross the streams. So his character them. in the Dresden game wasn't there while some of the others were. So I'm like, okay, you are your character from the inspector's game. He learned that he really likes to screw with the other players. <laughs> when he is playing an NPC that has that opportunity that can make things difficult for the party and just be an utter <laughs> disturber was the word he used. Yeah. He loves that. So if I set that up and said, okay, Pat, you're the chef, I have no doubt that somehow Pat and Chad would make that scene come around where he's choking him out, and they would both have a ball doing it. Absolutely. All right, well, I think we've given a bunch to chew on in this episode. Not that chef. I'm punching his teeth out. (laughs) Not that steak that got cooked wrong. Hell no. Yeah. Wayne, if you're going to eat a well-done steak, at least let me give you the laces for it. So, (laughs) but anyway, once again, do check the show notes because we've got that GoFundMe for Pat and Beth to try and help them stay head above water through this very, very difficult time in their life. And I can't remember if I was going to link anything else, but there's no GoFundMe for uh, Wayne and I's butts and the horrible tragedy we put people through with them. But there was a Patreon for our butts and these delicious chairs. That's (laughs) right. That is still a thing. So, yes, the Patreon does still exist as a thing. Thank you to you guys that are donating to it. We've been recording for an hour and five minutes, and I'm still comfortable. I know. My butt doesn't hurt in the least. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't want to fart in this chair. I, I appreciate that. I don't point. want to ruin the chair. Are you kidding? I've been holding back black water for an hour and a half. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay, well, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games. And I'm out of here before Brodor goes into concert. <laughs> it's your house, your toilets. I can just leave. No, I'm locking it down until I get home. I'm a polite guest. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2017. Listeners are free to use this episode in any non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the RPG Academy network of shows. You can find other great shows in this network at therpgacademy.com slash network.